Hey guys, and welcome to season three, episode 22 of Couch in the Minds, clearing the mind one couch talk at a time. On today's episode, I've got Shell Ann, who's joining me in conversation revolving around the topic of finding your voice. Basically, Shell Ann, she, she's a part of a Facebook page it's called The Missing Persons Advocate. And, and she herself, she's gone through a bit of uh, domestic violence and very brave of her to be able to openly talk about this sort of stuff because I feel like it's very much swept under the rug and it's not spoken about enough. So, look, I really appreciate you taking up your time today, Shell. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. So basically, again, just the whole finding your voice thing, I, I feel like when we do go through some form of struggle, at times it's difficult to speak up and act against it but for yourself you're brave enough to openly talk about as I mentioned before some of the things you've gone through with domestic violence and you know maybe your struggle with mental health but what I'll do now is I'll hand the reins over to you and you can just start wherever you like. Okay cool so I had kids quite young so I had my son when I was 18 he's 17 now and had my daughter five years later I was quite a young mum I separated from their dad in early 2019 after being together for 15 years we stayed really good friends the whole time so throughout us separating and then me getting together with the person who was violent he was like my biggest support person throughout everything so he actually played a a huge part in I guess me me being able to find my voice because I, I have always been like quite a strong person so finding myself in a position where I was manipulated so easily like it really baffled me and it made me really like angry with myself mm. when I know I know that I shouldn't be because obviously the things that happened shouldn't have happened regardless I actually knew my ex, the abusive one. Um, we met when I was 16 and he was 20, like, so 20 years ago. We were, like, high school, teenage sweethearts, like, huge connection. Like, we were just inseparable from the day we met. But because he was quite a bit older than me and of the lifestyle that he lived, he kept getting sent to jail. So once I got to the age of about 17, I kind of just went, you know what, like, I can't, I don't want to live this life. I'm really sorry. I love you, but I just have to walk away. Absolutely. So I did. It was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do. He had a lot of resentment towards me for that because he felt like I left him in jail, but it wasn't that. It was just that I was too young to... I did do it for a little while, but it was like driving to jail visits at 17 years old and stuff and being searched by like the dog squad and stuff like that when I went in there. Was Jeez, just like, that, yeah. that, that would have been so That would have been so hard at that age as well. It was really, really hard, yeah, especially because I didn't do drugs. So it was like, it would make me really sad like when I'd go there just to visit and like the dog would like sit on me as if I had drugs and I didn't. Oh. And just after so many times, I just, I was like, I'm too, like I was leaving every time crying and just, yeah. So I walked away and and then I eventually moved on, fell pregnant young, and then fast forward 15 years and separated from my kid's dad and just reached out to my ex, you know, on the odd chance that he'd still have the same phone number or whatever and he yep. replied straight away. I think it was just like really, I don't, I don't know if I'd say good timing, but it was the time when I think I reached out to him when he needed someone and it was also when I was really vulnerable because I just left a relationship for that I'd been in for 15 years. Can I say, because I don't, I don't mean to butt in, but I just want to say that like it, that's extremely courageous of you because 
you know what you've experienced with the with your ex. You've just broken off your most recent relationship at that time and you've decided to reach out to him because you knew he needed someone. So yeah. you've put yourself aside and you've just put his feelings first. And, you know, that's extremely brave of you to do that. Yeah, I still don't regret it even after everything that, ha- that has happened. Obviously, I wish that it didn't happen, but I'm kind of at the point now where I feel like everything that has happened has led me to the point where I'm at now. And it hurts to have to have gone through what I did go through with him because I always held him in such high regard, even though he he Mm. had a criminal background. He was still a good person. He just, he was so lost. Like he had a bad family life, drugs and yeah. I thought I could help him. I thought I could get him off the drugs. He, He actually, I did get him off the drugs for like, helped him to get off the drugs for the first three months that we were together that, I'm aware of I didn't know that he was using again looking back on it I probably would have I understand why everybody was around me was telling me that he probably was back on but I didn't want to believe it I think because he had done so well like and yeah for sure yeah so it was really hard for me to accept see that makes it difficult because like if you if you hold him close to your heart no matter what other people think and perceive of of that close loved one you're still going to to see them in the same sort of light. Yeah. This is what I believe. I just want to see if you you have the same sort of belief system in that you may not necessarily be someone who might be more inclined to, to take drugs and, and be an excessive drinker, but if you surround yourself around the people that do that enough, do you believe that you'll end up mirror imaging their actions over time? No, I don't think so. I think it completely depends on the person. When I was a teenager, I grew up around a lot of people who who used heavy drugs and lived a criminal lifestyle and I spent most of my teenage years trying to fix them. So I didn't do what they did. I tried to help them and many of them passed away and a lot of them are still doing it now and uh, it didn't make me want to do it. I would hang out with them and I would just drink or spend my time pretty much making sure nothing bad happened to them. I was always like the mum. You're so nice, Shell, honestly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was funny. Like, ever since I was little, like, all I ever wanted to be was a mum. People would ask what I wanted to be when I was older. I was like, a mum. Like, <laughs> I'm happy that I was able to get out of the relationship when I did because my son and I were starting to drift apart really quickly because him and my ex were trying to make me choose between them. Like, my ex was insanely jealous of oh. my son. He wanted all of my attention and... Even if my son got an hour of a day, that was an hour of the day that I wasn't giving to him. I used to find it really odd at the time. But now looking back, I think it was just that, that he just wanted my attention. So we we actually moved in together like really early on because I needed to find somewhere to stay. And he was homeless. So, so did he. So we lived with my parents for a little bit, but obviously living with your parents with a boyfriend that they don't like wasn't really that easy. So we'd go and stay at hotels and stuff on the weekends just to give all of us a break. I think the first time that I noticed that I really opened my eyes to his anger issues were the first time we went to a hotel and I was in the, I was really sick in the bathroom. I had like the door to the hotel bedroom closed and then the bathroom one. And it was just that I didn't I didn't want him to hear like you're in a new relationship. I didn't want him to hear me being sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You wanna you wanna kind of put your best foot forward. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Like I got it. 
I'd known him for so long still. It's like, yeah, 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 I understand, I understand. But in his head, he thought I was in there on the phone to another guy when absolutely right. I, would, I would never have done that. Like I did, I loved him so much. Like I'd held on to that for 20 years. I could hear like banging and stuff going on, but there was, he also had music up. So I kind of just ignored it. But then next minute he kicked the door down and then started abusing me because he thought I was on the phone. And then he saw that I wasn't. So then like walked out. And then when I walked out into the room to say like, what the hell? Like what just happened? He threw his plate of food at me and I was just like, okay. So I just went back into the room and got my bag and just left and went and sat in my car. And I was texting my kid's dad and I was just saying, I don't know what to do. I can't believe this is just Yeah, happened. you've got no idea what's going on. I've never been the kind of person to be scared of people. So it didn't scare me, but it was a shock. Oh, of course. I think it was a shock that I never, ever thought that he would do anything to hurt me. I've seen him hurt other people and I've seen him defend me and stuff like that. But I, I never in a million years would have thought that he would have hurt me. I can sense that he must have held a bit of mistrust from previous relationships or he was put in a situation where mistrust was apparent. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what you've been through in the past, the past of the past, you can't you can't put that on any new relationships going yeah, exactly. forward. And you can't allow your aggression take over if no. that is to present itself again. Yeah, exactly. And also, he'd known me for such a long time and he knew how much I adored him and stuff. So I just didn't understand it. And so I sat in the car and he was texting me and ringing me saying, please come back. I'm so sorry. And I just ignored it for a little while until I was I felt comfortable to go back in. And then I kind of just said, what are we going to do? Like, you've literally exactly. kicked the door in. Like, uh, the hotel's in my name, my credit card. I don't know what to do. And I was crying and stuff. And he was crying. And then he goes, oh, I know. We'll just tell them that it was already here. And I said, you do realize that, like, hotels clean their rooms every single day. Like, you can't just, <laughs> you know. And also, it was, like, 10 o'clock at night. So if you went into a hotel room and the door's been busted in, you would have rang them straight away. And I was like, no, we can't say that. Like, we'll just say that, you know, one of us fell over and fell into it or whatever. And he was like, no, I know how the law works. We'll tell them that, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of just let it go. But in the morning when we're about to leave, I rang the hotel reception and spoke to the manager because I didn't want the confrontation of it at the reception desk, if you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, so the manager came up, obviously wasn't happy. He was in the shower at the time, my ex. And so obviously he came out of the shower to the manager in the room. So he obviously got angry that there was a guy in the room. And then I told him and then he started going, what are you talking about? The door was already like that. And I was like, just stop, please stop. And then they started arguing and I was stuck in between them, like both trying to go each other. And the manager was saying to me, I'm not going to speak to him. I only want to communicate with you. And I was like, that's fair enough. Okay. So I said that we'd pay to get it fixed and everything. And once the um, manager went back down, obviously I got abused and he was calling me stupid and saying like, you know, that he could have gotten out of it and all this stuff. And I said, I can't live with myself. I didn't personally do it, but I'm, I'm a part of couple that did it, you know, so and it's in my name, so I can't, like, I had to be honest. Like, there was no other way. I couldn't live with myself otherwise. He just went and took all the stuff to the car, and then he refused to leave. You know how you park in front of a hotel when you get your stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, so he was driving because I was crying because I was really upset about having to deal with it all. <laughs> and, yeah, understandable. Um, so he refused to drive until I copied his mantra of leaving all the toxicity behind at the hotel and not, not bringing it up ever again. And I was like sitting there going, I can't do this. Please just drive. No way. I just want to go. I just want to go. And he was like, nope, say these words after me. And he was like grabbing my hand saying to me, copy these words after me. And in the end, I just did it just to shut him up, just so he'd start driving so we could leave. I don't think I even realized at that point how much control he was trying to get of me, but it's become apparent over, you know, since we separated. <laughs> it seems as if he's aware of of the way he, he reacts to certain situations and he's aware that he shouldn't be getting that aggressive. And I oh, feel absolutely. like I feel like he's afraid for other people to know. And that's why when he rushed out of the shower, he went back into default make up a story sort of mode. Yeah. And he yeah. went through that he went through that process when he was saying to you, I promise me you won't say anything because he, he wants to be he's in denial of his actions. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't do that. I have to be honest. I have to be able to live with myself at the end of the day, you know, and it was really unfortunate because we ended up being, we were both so different than we were of the people that we were when we met as teens. And mm. I think when he caught up with me as an adult, expecting me to be, you know, young, naive, crazy in love, doing whatever, you yeah. know, the older guy says, I think he expected me to still be like that, but he didn't realize I'd grown up. I'd had two kids. You know, I had a teenage, a teenager and a tween girl. <laughs> so like I, I, <laughs> yeah, I've lived a life. <laughs> it's one of those things where like over time, if these situations continue to become apparent, you, you probably don't even realize, as you said to me just before, that you didn't realize how much control and, and potential manipulation he had over oh, you, yeah. you yeah. know, you know, it, it's it's super panic. Like you know, a lot of women that go through some form of domestic violence, you know, and some guys as well. Those two things, manipulation, control, seem to be the the most worst traits when you yeah. do go through these situations. How, when did you get to a point when you where you kind of where it just all clicked and you you thought to yourself, you know what, like this is this is how he's doing it. You know, he he does have full control over me. I think that so. I'm not sure if I've told you before, but I have a couple of chronic illnesses. Now, my main one is that I have lupus. It's an autoimmune disease where your body attacks its its own organs. It makes you think that your body is attacking itself. So okay. I have to live on immunosuppressants, which means I get sick a lot and a lot of other symptoms as well. So I'm, yeah, just a, like I was diagnosed about eight years ago, I think, and just over the past eight years, I've gotten like quite unwell. I used to be an education assistant and I can't work anymore. I can't work more than a couple of hours before I'm just out for the day. So when we caught up again, like I kept saying, like you need to understand I can't do what a normal person can do. I can't go out and walk around the city for hours and do this and do that. And he was like, no, I'll look after you, blah, blah, blah. And then I noticed one day he was, I have like a first aid box with all my meds in it. And I noticed he was taking photos of all of my medications. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm just researching them. And then he told me how his mum, apparently before she passed away, had become a GP. Now, I'd known his mum for a long time and she wasn't a GP. So unless she did that in the years that we didn't see each other, 
which I'm not too sure, but he managed to convince me that he pretty much helped her through her studies and he had all these, you know, all this knowledge. And I kind of believed him because I, at that point, Seriously? I was like, why would you lie? Yeah. So, like, I didn't have any reason to doubt him. Like, I, Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and because he was researching my illnesses as well, he was talking to me about it. And a huge thing between me and my kid's dad was that, that made us split up was that I always felt like because lupus is an invisible illness, I felt like he didn't quite understand how sick I was because I don't look sick. And it's a lot of people are like that. Like even like my own parents, like I don't think they understand how sick I am because I look okay. Like I'll, I'll say how sick I am and people go, you look fine though. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point of it being invisible. (laughs) That's a really fair point because if you go through, like if you look at someone who's going through chemo, you know, yeah. there's like the, the the hair loss and all that sort yeah, of stuff, absolutely. and 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 you, and you can see that they're unwell. But if you yeah. if you can't visibly see, it's it's hard to to get a grasp of of how you're actually feeling. Yeah, exactly. And then so also I have PTSD from a car accident that I was in as a child, and I've got anxiety as well. So one of my meds is for that. So that one he convinced me that it was really really bad. And that he thinks that I was taking too many meds and that I should like wean off that one. And that so, was the one that he so, so sorry, I'm just backtracking to what you just said. So you've got your ex-partner that you're now sort of seeing and communicating with at this time. And he's yep. telling you over the advice of the GP that you shouldn't be taking as much medication as advised. Yes, yes. Okay. So he pretty much convinced me to stop taking it, which is where I think everything unraveled because that was that's kind of the thing that holds me together mentally Absolutely. so without it like I notice a difference with it. if I don't have it for like two days I noticed myself feeling different and I didn't realize it at the time because I was all like you know lovey-dovey with him and stuff like that but I think it just all came on really suddenly and I just didn't see it like people were telling me that they could see what he was doing but I was like no you're just jealous blah, blah, you know as you do the common response when you're in love yeah yeah looking back now I can absolutely see what he was he he was he planned it from the beginning because he took he was taking the photos of my medication within like a week of catching up with me and convinced me to get off that one in particular that's proper manipulation right there yeah like, you know when, when you're love struck and, and this is this is happening so often you'll listen to your loved one you know, if yeah. they if they think that that's that's out of in their best interest of, of giving you that advice because they think that's going to be what's most beneficial for you, you'll probably most likely you might have a bit of a shrug to start off with, but eventually you'll you'll just kind of wean over to the idea and yeah and, and use that idea, yeah yeah absolutely. And because like I get frustrated sometimes at the amount of meds I have to take, like I have days where I crack the shits and I go, you know, I'm not taking them today. I've had enough. Like, well, I shouldn't have to take these many tablets in the morning. I'm only 36 and I won't. And, but then I'll, I'll suffer the next day and I get over it pretty quickly and, you know, snap out of being a sook, but to do it long-term the way I did while I was with him, like it, it was really damaging for me and it, it made it really hard for me to, at the end of it, handle what happened and I think that if I didn't have my kids I don't know how I would have run through. Do you find in a sense having children like having children of your own it gave you a bit of a meaning to get through this 
difficult patch. It gave you a bit of a purpose. Yeah, I don't think I would have left him otherwise, to be honest. I feel yeah. like I so much that, that I put up with, I hid from the kids. Because when we moved in together, we had quite a big house. So my son had like a double bedroom completely separate from our living area with like, you know, three big main doors between. My daughter was down that end of the house. Half the time they're at the dad's. Well, I thought I had stuff from them. My son knew, obviously. They never saw anything physical, but obviously that's still, it still affected them because yeah. they still saw what was happening to me, if you know what I mean. Like, Yeah, and as, but as, um, as, as young children, a lot of the time they, they won't say anything to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My son did. He he would get really mad at me and stuff and he'd say to me, like, if you don't leave, I'm going to go live with Nick, who's a dad, and stuff like that. And obviously he knew that was heartbreaking for me. So I was saying to him, you just don't understand, you know, you're still, you're only 16. He was 16 at the time. I was like, you're yeah. only 16. You know, give him a chance. So he did. And, you know, there, there were good moments in between it all and, they even started to get along at one point and like, you know, hang out together and have a good time. And then I think just as that happened and just as my son started to like let the walls down, it was when shit just hit the fan completely. Yeah, so the the major thing that I think happened was that we, I got him a job through a mate of mine and because he didn't have a car or a license, yes. I had to take him to work and back every day. So it was like a 40-minute drive there, a 40-minute drive back twice a day. That's a big commitment, especially, oh, with, all, yeah. all the, especially with all the other stuff you're doing and, you know, the medication you're taking. Yeah, like even like now, I have to really, really force myself to get up just to go to the shops. Like it, my energy yeah. levels are just non-existent some days. And it it just killed me. And I did it for, you know, the first month or so, and I was, it was all good. And then, like, one day I just woke up and I was so tired. And I just said, I can't take you today. Just take my car. Because I knew he drove without a license anyway. I was like, just take my car. And then he's like, oh, what about, you know, your daughter, Jazz? Um, He's like, is she not going to go to school? And I was like, no, nah, we're going to have a girl's day. You know, we just need chill day together I'll see you after work so he took my car all was good like sent me a message when he got there everything seemed normal and then I got a phone call from my family that uh my brother's best friend who's like a close family friend had passed away in a motorbike accident oh I'm so um, sorry to hear that yeah it was heartbreaking like he was the most beautiful man like and he'd been you know in our family for like 15 20 years so I had texted the kid's dad and said, look, I can't just be up here by myself. Like, can you please come get me and I hang out at your house today and then, you know, the boyfriend can get me after work. So that he came up, got me. He stayed home from work as well because he'd been friends with the guy who passed away as well. So he was really upset. And my boyfriend said that he'd see me after work and he finished work at three and then it kind of got to 3 30 and I was like oh, it's, it's a Friday he's probably just had a drink or something and then it got to four and 4 30 and we we're also waiting to go to this the scene of the accident to put flowers down but we we're waiting for him and then like mm. it just kept getting later and later and I started ringing him like saying what the hell like where are you and I started worrying that something had happened like he and it wasn't like him to not yeah. Like, reply to me. Understandably, like yeah. Yeah, because up until him starting to work, we'd been, like, inseparable. We spent all our time together, and 
especially because he didn't have a car. So obviously I was his transport. <laughs> so this was his first opportunity with a car and he just took it. He didn't care about the circumstances that I, you know, our family were in. We're just losing a close family friend. And he just did not answer my phone calls. I like completely ignored me all weekend. So it was a Friday all weekend. I had no idea if he was alive. I was ringing hospitals. So he's just gone, he's just gone completely missing, not responding to anything for a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really odd as well because he had this backpack that he used to bring with him everywhere and it had all his stuff in it. So like he didn't even have his wallet or anything. Like all he had was his phone and his lunchbox work. So that was the thing that I found really weird is that he always took that everywhere with him except for work because he had no need for it at work. So then that to me was like weird. Like why you know he hadn't taken that so he hadn't planned it. So on Monday I was like the only thing I can do is turn up to his work and see if he's gone to work. And because he really liked that job he he did so I said to mum park behind my car so the car cannot get out and then I went in there with my son and just yeah lost it (laughs) and he didn't come home until so that was a Monday he didn't come home until the the following Saturday the funeral for our friend was on Saturday morning and I got a text message from him this is me texting him the whole time saying like I need you at the funeral blah 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 nothing like nothing back from him he never came home and as I was walking out of the funeral I got a text message from him saying I'm ready to come home now if you're not going to argue then can you come pick me up I love you are you serious this guy's got to be kidding me like what, like, what so the he, he just what I don't, planet I don't is like he on arguing. yeah exactly and I don't I'm, I'm not an argumentative person I I'll stick up for myself and I'll say what needs to be said but I don't I don't yell, I don't scream, like I'm a really calm person. So why he even thought that way, I don't know. It's obviously just who he is, not me. And he just made up like a crazy story about how he had wanted to make me proud. So he went to buy a car and then all this drama happened surrounding the car and the people he bought the car off came and took him by gunpoint and then took the car back off him or something like that. This sounds like like a proper like taken Taken movie or something like that. that, that that's yeah, not. That's, that's so unrealistic. Oh, yeah. But, like, obviously the obvious scenario is that he went on a, you know, 10-day bender and just couldn't couldn't say, I messed up. I'm really sorry. Can we fix this? Like, he, he couldn't even do that. Can I ask before, before you do continue the story, what do you yeah. think that some people struggle so much with, with just being completely transparent and honest about the situation? Yeah, I don't know. It absolutely baffles me. I've always said it like to him, just be honest. Like, I can tell when you're lying. I'm not stupid. I can see right through bullshit. I ended up forgiving him and things were okay after that. I promised he'd never do it again. And then my car went in to get fixed or something and I got a hire car from the mechanic. And we went to like a baseball game and... As we got there, the kids went out, started lining up and stuff. And he said to me, can you just check my phone for me? And I checked it. And when I opened it, there were messages from girls and two girls. And I saw them all. And I saw that he'd sent, like, pictures and then the same message to, like, a heap of different girls. Uh, so, obviously, I just, like, flipped my shit at that. Alarm bells. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would be exactly the same. And I just chucked the phone at him and got out of the car and went with the kids and he was following me and I just said, look, I just, 
I don't want to argue. I just need time. Just give me 10 minutes to myself to calm down and then I'll talk to you. And he's like, no, 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 let's go to the bar, have a drink. Like, oh, you know, like, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I need 10 minutes. Like, you need to just give me that. Like, I, my heart was broken and I, I needed that time to... You need that time to just take a deep breath and internalize yeah. what just happened. Yeah. So he said, okay, I'm going to go to the bar and have a drink. Like, come talk to me when you're ready. And I was like, no worries. It was like 10 minutes. And then I went up to talk to him and he wasn't there. And straight away, I just got this like gut feeling in my stomach that he'd gone and left us there. And he had. So we were stuck like an hour and a half from home. <laughs> oh, it was just the worst thing. I just like broke down and sat down on the grass and this lady just said to me, are you okay? And I was like, I'm actually really not, <laughs> but I will be, it's okay. And then like I texted my son and told him and then him and his mate came to find me and yeah, we, we worked out how to get home and stuff. The worst part of that though, I think, was that it wasn't even my car. It was a hire car that was, you know, when they take a photo of your license and stuff. My dad was texting him and calling him and saying to him, like, you know, you need to bring that car back. And he was scared of my dad. So they organised to for him to bring it back and then he never turned up. So at that point I called the police and I reported it stolen because if I didn't, I would be in shit with... Oh, it'd be under your name. Mechanic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I think it got to like a week and I rang them and I just said, I, I just don't even know what to do, guys. I'm so sorry, but you guys can just keep my car as your hire car. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. And the lady said, look, me, let me speak to the manager and I'll get him to give you a call. And he was like the hot boss of Autobahn in WA. And yes. big scary guy. <laughs> And he rang me and uh, he just said to me, like, sweetheart, what what's happened? You know, I've heard a bit of the story, but I want to hear it from you. And I told him and I was crying. And he said to me, in the two minutes that I've been speaking to you, I just want to ask you, what the hell are you doing with this guy? Like, you sound like, you know, the sweetest girl. Like, what are you doing, sweetheart? And I was like, I don't know. And then I said, look, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm trying everything I can. I can't find him. Um, you can just keep my car if that's okay or, you know, I'll pay or whatever. He ended up saying to me, look, I'll give you until the end of the week. So this was like early on in the week. I'll give you till the end of the week. But if he hasn't given the car back, like we're going hunting for him and it's not going to end pretty. And I was like, I understand. And at this point, I don't care. <laughs> and then one day I got a random message from a woman who I've never spoken to in my life and I don't know how it came about that she found me or knew about the situation but she said she was the ex-girlfriend ex-wife of the guy whose house he was hiding out in and she said is your car a little blah 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 and I said oh it's not my car it's my hire car but yep and she said okay it's at this address he's sitting in the car right now I'll park my car behind it and try and stall him but you need to be here in like the next 15 minutes but I lived about half an hour away and obviously I didn't have a car. So I had to ring dad and say, dad, let's go. Like we have to go now. So we got there, like just as he had started the car and dad parked across the driveway and I went in and just said, get, you know, get the hell out of the car, give me the keys. And then I started just chucking his stuff out of the car. He was like, the car was completely packed and he was ready to go wherever he was going next. Yeah. So that, that was that. I think my breaking point, with him was that saying things about my kids was the one thing that you couldn't do. 
because I'd get really mad. And so he used that all the time to cause fights and he would call my kids like the most horrible names and I never wanted to like bring that up because I didn't want to be like a spiteful person but the more and more he was saying stuff about my parenting and my kids which I know was a load of crap anyway because I know the one thing I've done right in life is raise my kids to be amazing kids like I but the more that, that you are. hear that sort of stuff, it just hides hides your frustration. Yeah, and you, you, yeah. You, you wanna you wanna lash out. Yeah, and I did one day. I just I just like he called my son the c word. I hate that word for <laughs> starters, but you know, saying it about my kids, and then I just said, at least I have custody of my kids, and then I walked off. But as I walked off, he grabbed me and threw me on the bed, and then held me down with his left hand and started like punching the bed right next to my head. Oh my God. And I was just like, at that point, he was a lot stronger than me because I'm chronically ill. I don't have strength. And I was just like, kick him off me and stuff. But yeah, just had to wait for him to realize like, you know, what he was doing to me. And then he, he always ended up crying after and like begging for forgiveness. But after that, it's like, where do you, how do you come back from that? Like, you just don't. It's hard to retrace the steps if it keeps on occurring time after time. Oh, Absolutely. It was like something snaps in him and he can't help himself. And I just said, like, don't speak about my kids like that. And then, like, he looked me dead in the eyes and, like, called them the C words. And then, like, I went to get up and he grabbed my hand and he bent my finger back. Like, he had, like, my ring finger. It was He kept bending it back. And he was, like, looking me dead in the eyes saying, I could snap this finger off right now if I wanted to. And I was crying and I was saying, you're breaking my finger. Like, stop. And my son heard this because he could hear it through the walls because I was yelling. So he was texting his dad and telling him, and then he was saying to him, like, go in there. And obviously he didn't because, like, 16-year-old kids, not really a situation. Um, no. Yeah. But my whole hand, like, swelled up and had cuts on it and everything. I don't even know how that all happened, but it was horrible. And he wouldn't take me to hospital. And I was saying to him, like, you've broken my fingers. Like, you need to take me to hospital. And he was just like mimicking me. And I was like, wow. So I, I had my phone and I started to record our conversation. And then he started like saying really nasty stuff. And then like, he could hear all the abuse and stuff in that. And I sent it to my kid's dad and I said, please just keep this safe. And yeah, I'll come over soon with the kids. But like, please just keep this message safe because that that was the point where I was like, I need to start documenting this. That was your way way of escaping out of this hell. Yeah, yeah. And because we were in a, we'd only just signed a six month lease. So well, my son was saying, you know, we need to move out. I didn't realize at the time that in a domestic violence situation, you can actually get out of a lease. I didn't find out until there was only a month left, unfortunately. So I was like holding out for that and I was planning for that. Unfortunately, in that time, things escalated quite, quite bad. And I had, I got hurt a few times. And But I think it was like the mental side of like things he was saying to me and how he kept leaving and stuff. And I, I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. Like I knew that he'd very likely be out with his mates on a drug binge there was still the part of me that was like I don't want to accept that because if I do and he's not and there's something something's happened to him I will never forgive myself yeah because you haven't gone to all measures to be able to find him yeah but something I I wanted to just to ask you as well is because this is obviously a very 
big issue. Again, as I start, said at the start of the episode, that it's very much shrugged under the rug. I'm looking at a stat and it says that one in three women, so 30.5% of women last year said that one in three women have experienced physical violence since the age of 15. Wow, yeah. Why do you think, yeah. why do you think that physical violence is, a, is an action that is used in so many different scenarios, especially from a, a guy delivering it to a woman or a girl? I just think it would have to have come from a similar kind of upbringing themselves where, like, you, yep. you'd either get a guy, for example, who whose dad did that to his mum and even though he hated seeing it, he couldn't help but turn out like that or you'd get a guy who did see that and said, I'm never going to be that person. But it just comes down to what kind of person you are, which is the same kind of situation with the, you know, what you were saying about the drugs. If you're around those kind of people, do you do the same thing? Where, yeah, a lot of people do, but that if you don't have an addictive personality yourself and you don't want to do go down that path, you won't. That's a good point. Yeah, I think a lot of it would come from seeing it, to be honest. I know that he, like I know a lot about his childhood and stuff he went through as a, a little kid. And like he always used to say to me, like, I wish you were my mum when I was a kid. Like, And I'd say to him, your mum's lovely. You know, your mum was lovely. And he was like, no, she's nothing compared to you. Like, you know, you're always there for your kids. You give your kids everything. Like he would say that I was too good of a mum and that my kids are too lucky and too spoiled. And my kids aren't spoiled. Like, I look after them. They have what they need. I'm a hard ass. Like, they're, they're not spoiled. <laughs> they're both, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I know towards the end of our relationship, when I left, because I left him, there was, like, a breaking point on my son's 16th birthday. Now, my son's 16th birthday has always been, like, a big thing. Birthdays are a big thing to me. Oh, it's a massive um, milestone. You can, you can ask Ash. I, I love birthdays. It was Ash's birthday the other day. I'm like, I'm a, you know, get a million balloons and. Oh, you've got to yeah, go all because, out. You've got to go all out. Yeah, you do. It's everyone's special day. I love, and because it was his 16th, it meant so much to me. Yeah, so his dad took the day off work. We went to the city, bought him some shoes, um, went out for lunch and stuff. And we invited him to come with us. Like, we were like, come with us. And he's like, no, it's a family thing. And we're like, your family, come with us. And he was like, no, I'll just stay here. It's all good. You guys go. And, like, we all kept saying, no, come with us. He didn't want to. So I was like, I'm not going to push it. And then he stayed at home and he spent the entire day drinking. And uh. so by the time we got back, he just, he'd gotten in his own head that we hadn't invited him. And he spent the whole day being angry at me about it. And then because we had, like, we did dinner that night as well at home, and we're all getting along like he, he, he just snapped and we're all like having a good night. And then all of a sudden he just stormed off. Yeah. All of a sudden he just ran back out of the bedroom and started trying to fight the kid's dad. And I just went, I just got in between them straight away and went, no, not happening. I was like, Nick, leave with the kids, please. Like I'll follow just, yeah, go. Cause I can see something's going to happen and it's, you know, Jacob's birthday. I'm not. Like, I'm not having this. And then he was mad at me once I'd left because I'd gotten between him and another man when he was trying to fight him. And apparently that's something that you don't do. And I was taking away his manhood and blah, blah, blah. 
so I was trying to pack my stuff, like get find my bag and my phone and stuff so I could leave because Nick had already left with the kids. And they were all crying and saying to me, we're not leaving you here. And I was like, go, please. I'll follow. Trust me. Just go. And so they left, like all hysterical and I, it broke my heart. I knew that when they left, something was going to go down because of the state he was in. Yeah, so he, I was trying to grab my stuff and then every time I was trying to grab something, he was like grabbing me and throwing me on the bed and he did it like so many times that the bed actually like snapped and I was in so much pain and then I'd finally like gotten everything together and I was trying to get out the door and then he pinned me up against the front door and strangled me until I lost consciousness and then I kind of came to and he was dragging me out the front door by my legs and then I like kind of realized what was happening so I was trying to kick him and I was just saying get off me just let me go and then like he was like yep you can leave you can go outside like you know be the dog that you are blah 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 and like he literally dragged me out by my he picked me up by my ponytail dragged me outside and because I was trying to get back in to get my phone and my bag which were like right near the front door he started like kicking into the side of me to get me out like to force me out so I couldn't get my stuff he ended up fracturing a few ribs and stuff and I was like yelling to the neighbors to call the police and nobody did and like I and I had to go to the neighbours and we had quite a big steep driveway and I was in so much pain and I had to go and say, can you please ring the police for me? And it it was really sad because I got to the neighbour's door and he had his his security door open and he was sitting right there. He would have heard everything. And didn't just do anything like, about it. Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. And then I rang, I said, please ring them for me. And he said, no, but you can have my phone and ring them and I was like okay thanks and so I rang them told them what had happened and I think within like minutes there were like four police cars all came in from different stations at once like they all seemed together at the same time all like running stormed the house with like tasers and everything because he'd strangled me it was like that's next level yeah they said to me if you don't leave him this time, next time you you'll be leaving in a body bag. Like you, you do realize there's no there's no not much back. worse than this. Yeah. And I said, oh, absolutely. And I never ended up pressing charges because I know what the court system's like, and I needed him out of my life. So I went the next day and I got a Vero, a family Vero against him, and hired a truck and I got everything of mine and the kids out of the house including fridges, washing machines. Like I literally left him with nothing but his own stuff. And I felt bad that I was leaving him with no fridge, but at the same time I was like, remind yourself why you're leaving. Can I say just making that massive step of going, you know what, I've got to, I've got to take action. You know, the 72 hour window is exactly what I need to, to, to then get myself out of this situation and out of, and get him out of my life, my, my uh, kid's life. You know, you be be like really proud of yourself for doing that because it's not easy to be able to get to that point of realization. So, like, you know, whether or not it's it's taking a step back and just thinking about this this whole process you've gone through, but acknowledging that you've you've done so well and you've got to be so proud of of how you've you've handled it all. Yeah, thank you. I I didn't feel it at the time, but I guess like looking back now, under the circumstances. And with the way that I felt and stuff, 
I handled it as good as I can. Um, Absolutely, you can you yeah. can you can overanalyze and be like, oh, I, I should have yeah. done this, I should have done that. But hindsight, you've you've done everything you've could, and you yeah. got yourself out of it, and that's the main thing. But now yeah. something I want to just pay mention to as well. In summary, if someone who may be listening in may be in a very similar situation, or they're they're being manipulated or controlled, they just don't know where to go from here, or whether or not they do have to take that massive leap of unknown in leaving that particular significant other because they're really uh, fearful of, of their actions, where would you suggest yeah. or what would you suggest suggest for them to do? Never have a, hesitate to leave. Like I, I hesitated so much and I could have left so much sooner and I didn't, I don't, I didn't realize the amount of help that is actually out there. Like all the, the agencies that there are, if you're with Commonwealth Bank, you can, they have a domestic violence line where you can ring them and they give you like a, a grant just to, they transfer it straight into your account to help you get out. Like they can, if you don't have a phone, they, they'll get you a phone. They get you counselling. They give you, so I guess if you're with other banks as well, they might have a similar thing, but I was with Commonwealth and I was told about them. There's women's shelters out there. I know often they're full, but they always help. Like if they might not be able to fit you in straight away, but they'll always help you. Like there's always somewhere to go because like it could end up being what happened to me and much worse, which obviously has been the case in a lot of situations. I just want to say again, super brave of you to be able to talk about this sort of stuff. I don't know a lot of a lot of women that are able to openly do this, especially on like a podcast sort of platform for other people to listen in if they are going through a similar situation or have had experienced something before. So look, Thank you so much for for sharing. You know your story. Very, very amazing stuff. Thank you. Yeah, uh, hopefully it helps someone else. You know, it definitely will. You know, it, it's going to spark some sort of conversation. So again, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. One more thing that I just wanted to briefly just touch base on is that Facebook yeah. page that you run with a couple uh, of yeah. ladies. It's called the Missing Persons Advocate. I just want to ask you how that came about? Okay, so I found the Cleary Smith Facebook page that a girl had created probably on like day two or three. So I offered to be like the distributor for Perth, North the River, where I live, where they could get the stickers, stickers sent to and I would get them out to people around here. And then, yeah, they ended up saying like, do you want to come on board and, you know, help Ash out because she's got, you know, a big job and blah, blah, blah. Me and Ash in- instantly clicked. We were like soul sisters from the beginning. The older ones of the group, were, even though it was such a sad situation, because it got to like, I think it was day 18, we had to we had to joke about stuff in, in between because if we didn't, we were just going to break you know, just thinking about what potentially could have been happening to, you know, to Cleo and stuff. And then there ended up being like an admin group of about, I think there was about eight of us, but Ash, Sammy and myself, we we bonded. We ended up being soul triplet sisters and we just, we worked really well together. I actually hadn't done anything to do with missing people up until Cleo's, but I because I was trying to busy myself, I absolutely threw myself into it. And um, because I'm really good with social media and stuff like that, Ash taught me and Sammy taught me. And I've learned so much from them. Like they're amazing, amazing women. And um, although they're both like 
a lot more knowledgeable than me. Like they, they've taught me so much and we're always like always trying to help families and That's awesome. help as many people we can. And even like, you know, what we don't put on the page, there's so much going on behind the scenes that, you know, people don't see. Yeah. Heartbreaking, but also um, so worth it when people get found or when you get, you know, the messages from the family just saying you, you guys made this time, you know, for us just so much easier than it would have been without you. And for those who may want to, to have a look at this page, if, if at any point they, they have heard of someone that's been missing and they want a bit of an update, that would be on Facebook? Yeah, absolutely. We're on Facebook and we're also on Instagram, but we, we mostly do Facebook. Okay, um, under, the, under the name of the uh, Missing Persons Advocate? Uh, missing Advocates Australia. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. But look, yeah. thank you so much for, for sharing your backstory of what you've experienced, uh, you know, some of the hardship that you face. But again, be so proud of you yourself for, for being able to overcome all these hurdles and, and, and you know, be sitting here right now in a such better place, being able to put time to yourself because you deserve it and doing all the rewarding stuff that you do with all the other girls on the, uh, the missing advocates page. So awesome, yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know like how my how I'd live without those two girls, to be honest. Like I think they helped me through a time that I don't know what I would have done without them and everything's just worked out, you know, Obviously, the way that the universe wanted it to. <laughs> it's one of those ones. It's it's hard. It's hard to think that yeah, at the time. Bittersweet. Bittersweet, <laughs> but yeah. But things happen for a reason, and you're yeah, you're in the place absolutely. that you're in now because of what yeah. has happened. So, yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Thank you, and thank you for talking to me. That's all right. But thanks, guys, for joining joining in today's episode. This was season three, episode twenty two of Couch in the Mind, clearing the mind when cash talk at a time. Again, I had Shell Ann on the uh, episode and we went over the topic of finding your voice. Again, she, she runs that Missing Advocates page on Facebook and Instagram and she just shared an amazing story, amazing domestic violence story and I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with it. Um, and if at any stage, you know, you feel as if you're struggling to, to overcome this, there is many, many sources, outsources to, of, of help you can you can reach out to and I'll, I'll post that in the uh the buyer below but you guys look after yourselves reach out to me on the couch the mind webpage of www.couchthemind.com if you're after any more information but i'll speak to you guys soon if you guys enjoyed this episode and you're after more couch in the mind content feel free to check us out on spotify instagram tiktok and many other audio platforms and as always guys if you need anything feel free to message me on the couch in the mind facebook page thanks again for tuning in